1: Welcome to Speed City with John Massengel, Les Kaiser, and Jonathan Green. It's the fastest hour on the radio Speed City.
0: Good evening, Gearheads. Welcome to Speed City. We are live in Austin, Texas. This John Massengill in studio with Les Kaiser. Hey, Mr. Kaiser, how are you?
2: Howdy, 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 eh?
0: Mr. Jonathan Green is not with us currently. He is up in Utah. Oh, doing... no!
2: Oh, <laughs> mayhem!
0: It probably is. And wherever he is, there's some mayhem happening, but he's up in Utah doing the Moto America commentary for those guys up there. He may join us towards the end of the show. I wouldn't count on it, uh, but... Out there in that Pacific time zone, but man, we are excited. We have there was a good weekend of racing. We had the 24 Hours of Le Mans, whoop, whoop, whoop. and we've got a young Texas yeah, connection there. That's right, yeah. We got a young American race driver, Dakota Dickerson, coming on, and he's racing the Formula Three series. And we're going to continue our discussion about the Formula One Canadian Grand Prix. If you missed our pre or post show last weekend, go check them out on our website. But and Les got to go to Canada, so we're going to give him. <laughs> he's going to give us a breakdown of all that went, and we're going to talk a lot about the the penalty with Sebastian Vettel and how all that broke down, and get some uh, get. We're gonna we're gonna talk about some opinions on the web, and Jolien Palmer's opinion, which I think has probably been the one that's been talked about the most.
2: Oh, I, I think it's great the way he dissects all the elements, and and especially we'll we'll put that out on on a. Facebook later on and and so you can see some of the things because some of it is visual
0: yep but let's start off with some discussion about the 24 hours of Le Mans and who better to get to call in to help us with that discussion is Jeremy Shaw I know that guy hey Jeremy welcome back to Speed City man
3: Hey, fantastic to be with you guys. Fantastic. Hey. You th- I'm thrilled that Johnson's not there to screw things up. No, no, no I yeah. miss the guy. Yeah. Uh, thanks so much for having me. It's wonderful.
0: Uh, no, when I started thinking about who could we, you know, we always try to get somebody from Lamar, but of course it never works because it's champagne. hours ago. Yeah. Sh- <laughs> champagne. <yeah. laughs> hours ago. and But I know I thought who, who, who would know better more than just about anybody anyway. And I thought Jeremy Shaw. So, awesome. yeah. I yeah, mean, I,
3: of course, I couldn't make it over there this this time. But in any case, it'd be, it's in middle of the night over there, so yeah, you would be struggling.
0: Yeah, <laughs> but uh, but yeah, I, it's this year it was they had good weather for a change. It was good weather, but but what's your overall thoughts, Jeremy?
3: Um, I, interesting race, I suppose. But for me, it, it's dominated by one factor. And one thing I hate about um, particularly particularly. Uh, the the twenty four hours and that 's the pace car system, the safety car system they have over, over there, which completely ruins the race year after year after year, and it did the same again this time, i think, but uh, aside from that, no major surprises uh but but an interesting race nonetheless
2: hey i gotta ask because you know towards the end within the last hour of the race, Toyota Gazoo did something that raised a lot of questions in that uh or I'll say something happened. I won't say they did it. (laughs) (laughs) Something happened that lights lit up on uh, one of the cars saying that uh, all their tires were underinflated, apparently, was Hmm. kind of the message that the commentators thought. And they were told to take it easy and and bring it into the pit for new tires. And uh, Twice, yeah. yeah. And nobody ever really saw tires going down significantly. And then the other car took the lead. And then Fernando Alonso wound up on the top step again.
3: What Shock do you horror.
2: <laughs> is that uh, is that uh, questionable? Do you have faith in what we saw, or, or did we miss something? What are what are your thoughts on that?
3: <laughs> um, you know, yeah, it, it's it's tough to say without with. I mean, I haven't I haven't seen anything or heard anything from 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 the uh, from the drivers involved. Um, but I mean. I feel so bad for Mike Conway, in particular, who was sensational. Right. I thought this this uh, in the race, I mean, the early stages, he was just gone, and um, you know, I think uh, the, the number seven car, no question, deserved the win. I thought it was certainly disappointing that, given that they on they, they made those two pit stops, didn't they, with about an hour to go? Right. And uh, one they changed, they only changed, I think, two tires on the first stop. And one of those was the wrong one. That's really weird uh, to me. I mean, that that stop would would have been good enough. Even with that, they they would have still won the race. But the second stop just killed them. And that handed the advantage to the number eight car. And that despite what the commentators were saying, um, both cars did need to make a pit stop in the final um, 50-odd minutes of the race. They were talking about, well, maybe it's making its last stop and blah, blah, blah. Well, they were wrong on that one. But nevertheless... The advantage was had in the brake car, and, and that went on to win the race. Now, I would certainly have preferred from a purist standpoint to see the team, if they made a mistake, which somebody clearly did in, in not changing all four tires when they had the opportunity first time around, or um, you know, that second, when they made the second pit stop, they could easily have rectified the situation and, um, and put the seven car back in front and had them win the race. I mean, number eight team, they won the race last year. They've won the championship. Why not uh, hand a bit of a carrot to number seven guys who clearly dominated the race from the from the start? Yep. Uh, I thought it was certainly very disappointing that they didn't hand the advantage back to the number seven car. Yes, that would have been contrived, for sure. Uh, and you know, you, you never want to see contrived finishes. Uh, and you certainly have to hope that it was a legitimate puncture that they did have on number seven car that brought into the pits both, uh, at least on one of those two times, um, and uh, that it wasn't just engineered that way to, to get the uh, to get Alonso um, and the other guy, to, you know, the other two guys, uh, Nakajima and Buemi, to the finish line in front. So it was it was a, it was an anticlimactic end to the race, uh, which hadn't really had much of a. Climax in any case. To be perfectly honest,
0: I certainly but, hope that you're right yeah. that that wasn't contrived. Yeah. I mean, I, yeah. Yeah, it was suspicious just, the way I, the commentators. I mean, just, yeah, like, yeah, but yeah, I, I can I, see I, that. I really don't. I certainly hope not. I, I'm, maybe yeah. I'm just too optimistic about yeah. everything. Like that I, I say, they could
3: easily they could easily hand the advantage back again and just told the seven guys, look, you know, these guys had the, they had the race one. The, I, I, yeah. any, other, any other race this season, or several other races this season, they've changed positions in the closing stages to make sure the right car wins. Um, mm. This certainly isn't the first time they've done that. Yeah. So they could have easily have done this the other way around and and um, and handed these answers back to uh, Lopez, and Kobayashi, and Conway. And yeah, you know, wh- whichever way around it is, you know, for, for, for the for the critics out there or the skeptics, there was a Japanese driver in each of the cars, so it wasn't that um, that uh, in, in, that uh, led to the decision to put the Alonso car in, in in front at the end. But yeah, certainly it was it was disappointing. But you've you got to. You,
2: I have that question mark.
3: Something definitive to the contrary, you got to you got to hold and you know, assume they're doing they've done the right
0: thing. I know you hate to have that question mark hanging over you like that, but mm. but uh, you know I, I, the one thing I do that never disappoints is just the epic nature of the 24-hour Le Mans, Right, just yeah. watching it. I mean, I don't I don't know how much I actually sat and watched, but I had the TV on. I bet you close to 12 of the 24 hours. And you know, just watching some of the things that really struck me, um, were the hybrid acceleration out of the pits—I know that's silly. That's just a simple. It's little still thing. there, but it's but, still man, so cool. Man, you see them—they—they're—they're they're in the pit, and then, like instantly, they're at yeah. top speed—the the pit speed speed limit right there. I love coming those those hybrid cars coming out of the. The pit's like that, and the same thing is when those hybrid cars are in the straights passing the other cars. Because, you know, we're sitting there watching the Ferraris and the Corvettes and the Astons and everything, and they look so fast, and then you get to the straightaway, and that hybrid car, you know, they come out of a corner, and the hybrid just goes boom, and he looks like he's 40 miles an hour faster. But, I mean, that that's just some of the great fun that... That the 24 hours Lamar is. And Jeremy, I, I really, I don't know who the commentators were this year, but I really enjoyed them. They were good. funny. And, and I, you made. do you know who, who everybody was? Yeah, yeah. Yep. Because I thought they were great. Good. And my yeah. wife my wife was watching a little bit with me, and she said uh, – she was watching the guys. You know, they're all laying around, and at one point there were some guys laying there with their head on a tire. She goes, can't they get those guys a cot or something? <laughs> yeah,
3: right. Yeah, some of the teams look after the mechanics better than others, I think, it's the bottom line on that one. Yeah. I, I did see
0: some of them later had some lounge chairs, you know, that the guys were sleeping in. But
3: Yeah, most of them do, either, either in the garage or out back or somewhere in there. I mean, there's, there's all sorts of places for the, for the crew to – to, uh, to to put their head down but still be right there if they're needed uh, in an emergency in the pits so yeah but I mean yeah those pit stops they are amazing to watch and and particularly I mean they go out the, the, the hybrid cars they they leave the pit the, their pit saws just on hybrid power the engines aren't even fired up it's I mean it's really bizarre when you're there because there's no noise but all of a sudden the car's gone when you're standing in the pit lane it's it's the most incredible um, feeling to to just to see that and witness that when the car just disappears all of a sudden with no noise whatsoever apart from a slight whine from the hybrid system but it's 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 pretty remarkable and and as you say you know the speed coming out of the corners it's not it's not the end of the straights where the cars are particularly fast yeah boost they get from that effectively four wheel drive well not effectively it is it's four wheel drive with the hybrids working on the front wheels to just drag them out of the corners i mean the 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 exit speeds or the first or couple few hundred yards of the straights are where it really hits you the speed of those cars it's just astonishing how quickly they accelerate from the corners but what's interesting is the the hybrid cars were not the fastest cars on the on the straight uh, on straights in all the fastest i believe the fastest speed trap of the whole week was turned by one of the br engineering br engineering cars the br one because the smp racing entries Mm -hmm. uh, which i think topped out at 350 kilometers an hour uh, which, is, which is about seven or eight kilometers faster than the, be- than the quickest of the, of the Toyota hybrids, which is kind of interesting. But mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It, it's certainly that, you know, that, that first part of the straight where the hybrid cars make up all of their time compared to the other LMP1 cars.
2: Fantastic. Yeah. Well, folks, Jeremy Shaw is one of those people that has his finger on the pulse of not just uh, Le Mans, but so many of the racing series through. So I've got, I'm going to throw him a curve with a surprise question here. Toyota... Uh, has been out front for Le Mans for quite a while now dominating in so much of this series. They used to be in Formula 1 up until I don't know 2008, 2010, somewhere through there. What are your thoughts as if they were one of the marks to come into Toyota into Formula 1 with the new series? Uh, engine requirements I yeah don't who 20... knows
3: I mean yeah I, 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 they haven't yet finalized the um, the rules have they for, for Formula One, but I think I think they did over, oh, last week they, Toyota did announce they are going to be back in the in the WC with the new with a new uh, hypercar formula that's going to come on board in uh, in a couple of years' time so um, i would I would be surprised to see Toyota going Formula One, um, particularly with this new commitment to the sport to the world Endurance championship. Or continued commitment, I should say, to the World Endurance Championship, because there was certainly, you know, the new rules are supposed to come in for the 21-22 season. Because it's now it's, it's now a, you know, this year was was kind of weird for the World Endurance Championship because it started off
0: mm-hmm.
3: with Le Mans last year and finished with Le Mans this year. Well, next year's or the, the next championship will start with the next race, which is in a cup in what three months' time at Silverstone, and then it'll run the championship will run through to Le Mans next year in 2020, that'll be the series finale uh, for for this next season. And then for after that, are the, when the new rules are supposed to come on tap, but um, I think they're going to be uh, struggling to get everything ready for that. They've got a couple of, couple of manufacturers who have committed to it, um, Aston Martin and, um, and Toyota. So they've got a start on it, but it's been a really drawn-out process and all rather weird to be perfectly honest. But no, I can't see Toyota going... Formula One. What I can see, though, what I could see is 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 I, I just wonder whether they might be giving either IndyCar or or even the IMSA some thought. Huh.
4: Um,
3: and the only reason I say that is number one, wishful thinking, and <laughs> yeah. uh, uh, number two, the, the new hypercar formula is supposed to be significantly less expensive, I mean, massively less expensive than the current regulations that drove out Audi and Porsche and
0: mm, and, um, yeah.
3: and Peugeot over the last you know, handful of years. Um, so that's going to leave some sort of a, a budget there conceivably for motorsports. Um, uh, but I don't think it's enough to go Formula One because... Um,
0: yeah, that, that's just such a, I mean, it's such a long shot, but... But uh, Jeremy Shaw, thank you so much for coming on. We really appreciate your uh, your your input as usual, and uh, we appreciate. It. We got to jump to a break, and you're listening to Speed City. We're live in Austin, and back uh, when we come back from the break, we got Dakota Dickerson live with us. Oh, back yeah. after these messages.
5: As a rider, you know what you like: the power, the feel, the ride.
1: It's a 66 Ford Bronco.
6: I think you got ripped off. Why is that, honey? It's got no Wi-Fi, no USB port, no Bluetooth.
1: Exactly. I guess we'll just have to talk. Sometimes the best way to connect is to disconnect.
6: Is that the window button?
1: It's called a window
5: crank. Cool.
6: The faster I move it, the faster it goes down.
5: This moment of escape was created by Haggerty.
6: Being old is kind of cool, Grandpa.
5: Works for me. For
1: people who love cars. Austin's talk
5: thirteen seventy
6: Hi, I'm JD Beach, and you're listening to Speed City.
1: Welcome back to the fastest hour in radio, Speed
0: City. How's JD Beach? That's where Jonathan is right now. He's got out there hanging out with JD Beach in Motor America. Uh, we are very excited to welcome our next guest to the show. He's been on the show several times. He's been to Austin several times, raced on Circuit of the Americas several times, and is currently racing in the Formula 3 Americas Championship. Dakota Dickerson, welcome back to Speed City. Hey, guys. Thanks for having me back. We really appreciate it, man. Thanks for coming on. So, yeah, so hey, I want to talk, let's jump right in and talk about your, your season so far in F3, and it's looking pretty good from what I'm looking here at the standings.
6: Yeah, it's, um, it, it looks good on paper. It's, it's actually <laughs> even better when you think about all the things that have happened uh, so far this season. I mean, kind of got out of the gate strong at the IndyCar Grand Prix at Barber, um, split a win in a second place with my teammate uh, Ben Pedersen he's actually filling in for one of my teammates who had an incident preseason testing. So, uh, Ben's no longer racing at road Atlanta or Pittsburgh. And we've got Blake Upton in the car. Um, and then road Atlanta went pretty well. We had fantastic pace there. We got, we got rained out. So qualifying got canceled. Um, and then in the three races we had pretty good pace, but just kind of got un- unlucky with some mechanical issues and, a couple of mistakes, so we we probably had the pace to win a few races there, but came away with a third, a, a first, and I think a, a fourth or something like that. So, But it, all in all, it's good. I think we're second in points right now, one point down, flying out to Pittsburgh tomorrow morning, so should be good.
0: Yeah, awesome. I, uh, I was looking at that. It's just one point between you and Jacob Abel, and you guys have a pretty good spread over everybody else. But yeah, you know Dakota, you've you've been on the radar for us anyway. We keep our eye on every young American driver, and I, I was thinking about you. I thought, I wonder. I, I'm assuming that you have some big aspirations. What are you? What what's the top of your your goals list?
6: Yeah, I, the top of my goals is IndyCar right now. So, uh, 22 years old. Uh, obviously, F1 is a big dream for everybody, but to me, I love IndyCar racing. I think I think it's really great racing and you know being here in the states it's obviously a huge appeal so um for me indycar would be an absolute dream come true and being associated with you know like a manufacturer like honda who's now being able to develop drivers in the f4 and f3 level um being able to be associated with them from the beginning of like my car racing career and then coming up through the ranks into indycar would be awesome as well so i think i think there's a obviously Two great ladder series in the States right now, but I'm really happy being at home in F3 Americas. Oh, yeah.
2: Well, Dakota, I want to tell you about a scene that I had the opportunity to see. I was at the Monaco GP. We finished up the Monaco GP, and a bunch of us went to this bar on the marina called uh, Stars and Bars, and it's an American-themed sports bar. And so the tradition there is they put on the Indy 500 in the evening, okay, and we watch it live after... The GP is over there in Monaco, so I was invited to go to it, and I mean, it was so cool to be sitting there. But as if that wasn't enough, just to go in and see that I get heckled for being a Texan, (laughs) and then they say, "When the boots and the buckle was it?" Yeah, and and first there was, (laughs) yeah, yeah, first a Canadian, now a Texan. I'm like, "Well, who's the Canadian?" I turn around, and there's Indy 500 winner jacques villeneuve sitting at the next table and so we became allies and i was like <laughs> that's I thought, awesome yeah. but i thought that made a big statement that that audience is tuning in to the indy 500 and yeah, absolutely you know I, I kind of feel like in a lot of circles people kind of put this little asterisk like oh and, and there's the Car crowd it's mm-hmm. a solid sport and it is followed elsewhere but i i kind of feel like it's Treated that way around a Formula One audience.
0: Uh, that's I think you're, that's the, the rarefied air that you're experiencing in Monaco because I don't think, I think plenty of the rest of the world thinks that IndyCar is way up there, you know. I mean, it, I mean when those guys, Fernando and everybody else, when they come over and go to one of those ovals yeah. at 235 miles an hour or fo- yeah. 240 miles an hour, I think the respect level goes up really high. <laughs> what about you, Dakota?
2: Yeah,
6: yeah absolutely. I would, I would say the same. I don't have a lot of experience on the international level to see like where. People put IndyCar versus F1. I think, like, when the IndyCars went to COTA, there kind of sparked a conversation because people were looking at the times and everything. But I think when you look at the pure racing standpoint, and like you mentioned, IndyCar is a very diverse series with what they have between the road courses, street courses, and the ovals, not just like the super speedways, but also the short ovals. I think um, I think it's certainly really respectable to see what the IndyCar drivers are able to do. And like you said, seeing Alonzo coming over, and obviously there's a whole of difficulties that they experienced leading up to the bump day that they had this year but I think it's it's very respectable to see what the Indy car drivers are able to do and
0: you know I, we had that discussion over and over and over when they came to cota okay so they're 10 seconds faster in formula 1 but but it's this is what indy has set up this is on purpose everything they do is yep. on purpose because the if you you know if you're watching for pure racing the, there's really no contest. India no. is way more exciting yeah, with yes. passing and everything else. But if you watch, if you want to know the fastest, the best of the best, the fastest hardware and yeah. everything.
2: Almost no budget.
0: You know, <laughs> right. Unlimited budget. I mean, that is Formula yeah. One. So it's it's just a different animal. You really can't compare them. Yeah, it's fun to compare, but I immediately move on. Okay. That's how much faster they are. But Okay, you know the, the the amount of money just stop right there. The amount of money is just it's just insane. Yeah. So, uh, so yeah, well, well, look, I I love the fact that the Indy 500 would be your goal because, uh, I mean, there's it's it's fantastic. In fact, I heard the Lamar commentators talking about. They said, oh well, the, the you know Indy 500 is considered the greatest spectacle in racing. Well. Not compared to this. I love this, this rivalry yeah, because, still, yeah. because <laughs> Le, Mans, Le Mans in itself is, you could argue uh, that it's greater than, that the one race is greater than any race in Formula 1 or at any 500 in its yeah. own certain way. But they're all fantastic in their, in, in their own way.
6: Yeah, exactly. I think it, it really depends on what you're focusing on, kind of like what you're hinting at. I think like F1, obviously the ingenuity that goes on there and seeing just those cars rip around racetracks, how fast they go and, and all the engineering that goes behind it. And they've got IndyCar with the fantastic racing that they have and the safety that goes on the development there. And, and obviously sports car racing. I, I got a, a little taste of that in the Ligier LMP3 in May. And, uh, by all means, endurance racing is its own animal. And, um, being able to see what those guys are doing in 24 hours is is wicked. So I think I think it really just depends on kind of like what you're focusing on. I think when you're in Le Mans, you'll say Le Mans is the best race. When you're in Monaco, it'll be Monaco. And when you're in Indianapolis, it'll be the 500.
0: Yeah. Well, hey, you know, I want to talk about the series, the Formula 3 series, the United States Formula 3 series. I always get the name wrong. It's F3 Americas, right? And yeah. uh, I have yeah. to think about it. But, uh, but just the fact that now you guys get super license points, right? In, F, in F3 yeah. Americas so exactly so how many Formula One you know I say Formula one so how many super license points do you have do you know right now um
6: I to be honest I'd have to check I mean we won the F4 championship last year and that's right
0: if Amy Greenway
6: is listening I hope she she doesn't snag me on this I think that's like 12 <laughs>
2: points uh, or something like
6: that for for F4 I'm not sure um, but I really should know that and then for F3 I think if you win the championship again it's like an additional three points over like what you would get for winning F four. Yeah. Um, so I was talking to the series about that. I think it's like if you win F four, F three, and you go compete over in Europe and do well in one of those championships, you'd be pretty dang close to getting like enough points for for an F one super license.
0: Well, you know, we've talked a little bit about F one I want to jump back to it just for a second because I want to get your take as a race driver about what happened in Formula 1. I'm assuming you've either saw it yeah. or heard about it about where Vettel went yeah. off track and came on and um, and blocked uh, um, uh Hamilton. What do you think about that yeah. whole the of the penalty and everything? Wait, you said blocked. You kind of let him there. <laughs> That's true, <laughs> I did. I,
6: I my personal opinion is it was a it was a racing incident. I I think I think a investigation was certainly warranted. I would have I mean to be honest, I I watched um Julian Palmer's uh, recap of it, <laughs> yeah. And um while I mean, he wasn't somebody that I necessarily idolized when he was in Formula One. I really, actually, did appreciate his his like recap of it because when I was watching it on TV, I was like, "There's absolutely no way Vettel could have collected that car and then consciously have defended Hamilton and crowded him in that corner." So in, when I was watching it on TV, I thought at the very least the stewards should have reviewed it after the race and issued a penalty after the race because then we could still at least get some racing. And I think that should have been the case regardless because you can't go back and take that penalty away because I I would assume that Hamilton would probably, like rightfully so, say that he probably wouldn't have attacked Vettel as hard and risked his own race knowing that he had a five-second penalty. So Mm -hmm. in my opinion, I, I don't think a penalty should have been issued on the spot. Should Vettel have received a penalty in general, I think it's a really, really hard call. Um, if I was a steward, I probably would not have, but I'm also biased just because I'm also a driver. Um, so I don't know. I think, I think Vettel should be most upset at himself, to be honest. I mean, there, there wouldn't have even been a question if he didn't make that error. And granted, it was really tricky conditions with him catching those lap cars, but you know, if he's going to be pissed at anybody, it should be himself.
0: Yeah, catching I those love that catching those lap cars and knowing that Lewis Hamilton is behind you. <laughs> yeah, <he's> right behind <laughs> so, him. Exactly. So yeah. well, that's funny. That Bye. that is that is the conclusion that we reached right after the race. You know, we 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 do a, a pre and post show, and we went right on the air. And, and in fact, actually, it was a caller who said, "Let's not forget that the whole reason we're discussing this is because Vettel." Made an error and went off track. Yep, but, right. And it's well, funny you mentioned Palmer because we're going to play a clip from that here in a little bit, but I think everybody was using <laughs> the, that as a reference point.
2: You know, yeah. and I agree. But uh, Dakota, let me ask this. Let's say he went on to, you know, we didn't issue an immediate five second penalty. That approach, I'm kind of like, this was so hard to call in my way because if Vettel had got on it before the car was settled, he could have just gassed himself into the wall nailing the accelerator and so you know at that moment before we got to see the replay several times i felt like uh it would have been better what if we just said deduct one championship point yeah instead of interrupting this race because it totally changed the complexion of the race it did and and that's what i did not like about whatever the call was going to be i don't like that they destroyed it right there yeah, no, I, I, that's exact. I'm in the same
6: exact boat with you. I think, I think that race was turning into a really great race because it seemed like Vettel had really good pace on the, uh, on the soft tires. And then as soon as they went onto the harder tires, it was clear that, uh, Hamilton had more pace. And I think we would have had a really, really good race in the closing stages. But as soon as that penalty was issued, you could see an immediate switch in both drivers, like driving styles. Like Vettel kind of, he, I think he opened up like a three second gap once he got told about the five second penalty or something like that. And then it seemed like he was his own worst enemy. It just closed up, and I mean, if I was Hamilton, there's no way I would have tried to uh, make a, a yeah. Why risk it? Yeah, exactly. I mean, the only the only thing I was talking to my buddies about was like, well, I mean, if Ferrari, being the Ferrari strategist, wanted to do something, they could have Vettel back up Hamilton and Leclerc. But then Vettel would finish third, and then that would create maybe some good racing. But I, I, I think I think they should have waited to issue a penalty, or or if they did issue a penalty like you said make it something that wouldn't change the racing you know because i think i think you know i think it would have been some great racing at the end of the race
2: so yeah. let me just ask what do you think as i saw this conversation of folks that said if you can't clearly call it immediately during the race and that it's obvious you know if it's too close to call and you got to watch the replay five times and it's not yeah. obvious enough mm-hmm. kind of thing frame by what, frame yeah what do you think of saying well that's a three-point incident, let's say, uh, that uh, deducts mm-hmm. from whoever we decide is guilty after the race. What do you think yeah, of I an think, approach like that? Fair. I think that's totally fair. I mean,
6: I, I think that uh, championship penalty, like point reduction, it, I mean, you, essentially you're getting a somewhat similar penalty. And In that case, it's actually much less because first place points is 25 relative to 18. So mm-hmm. if I was Vettel, in either case, if it's a three-point Penalty, and I still won the race. That's better than me finishing second to Hamilton. So the racing is going to be the same as it was before, um, just with the added pressure that Hamilton would have had at the end on mm-hmm. Vettel. So I, I think that's a fantastic, uh, you know, solution to that sort of problem. But that sort of incident, it took them like what was it like eight laps or something like that to right. review that. Yeah, and it was penalty. a long time. Yeah, it. it I mean, it, it was a it was a relatively minor incident when you look at it on track. There's no contact or anything like that. So to have that long of a review process to, and then come up with that sort of penalty that has such a huge impact on the race to me, just like it didn't make any sense to me. And admittedly,
2: but, that's the minimum time that they assess to anybody is five seconds. Mm, yeah, I see. but you're right. I was I sitting
0: see. there at one point. I realized I thought they're not going to do anything because it had been yeah. so long. I thought they're not going to make a call. But well, Dakota, I know that Amy said that you had need to go pretty close to seven thirty. So I'm going to let you go. But we really appreciate. You coming on the show and love your insight. And and I know it's been a while since we spoke and you were here in Austin and everything, but we were watching you and we you know, we really are are uh, keeping an eye on you for and, and hope you get that dream of going to IndyCar and, and getting to the Indy five hundred.
6: There you go. Awesome. Yeah. Well thanks for having me on the show, guys. Really appreciate it. Always enjoy talking to you. All right. You thanks to go to talk soon. to you soon.
0: Thanks. All right, guys. We're going to go to break, and when we come back, we're going to have another race car driver on the show, and we're going to have a little. We're going to talk a lot more about this Formula One discussion too later in the show. A little Moto, a little Moto GP, and some more. You listen to Speed City. We're in Austin, Texas. Back after these messages.
7: Hey, beer people, it's Christine Salas. And I'm Daytona. Salas Brewery is back in Austin and brewing again. Oh, Salas doesn't ring a bell for some of you? Well, for the last 17 years, we've been crafting the perfect comeback. We've returned to our roots with Salas White, a famous local favorite. Plus, we're creating some fresh new brews. And whether it's the first time you've tasted our family's legendary beer, or the millionth, we're thrilled to be back. Swing by your local store, watering hole, or our brewery, and let's catch up over beers. Salas, Austin's original craft brewery.
6: When we see a beautiful car pass by, we always seem to use a hand signal. The classic thumbs up, the point and shoot six gun finger, the hang loose thumb and pinky combo. If you've ever flashed one of those, now there's a car club for you. Introducing the Haggerty Drivers Club. With exclusive members only events, insight on buying and selling, the Haggerty Magazine, and roadside service, the Haggerty Drivers Club gives you a big thumbs up. So keep flashing those fingers. Same to you! Uh, Just not that one. Join the Haggerty Drivers Club at Haggerty.com today
1: austin's talk
2: 1370 hi this is gene haas and this is speed city welcome back to the fastest
0: hour in radio speed city all right, GearHeads, we're excited to welcome to the show Ryan Hall. Ryan races in the Mazda MX-5 Cup. Ryan, welcome to Speed
1: City. Thank you, thank you. Thanks for having me on tonight. Yeah, hey.
2: excited to have you. I love this. You know, I was just talking to somebody the other night, and we are talking about the cars that I've had the most fun in. And I said, well, honestly, the, the cars I've had the most fun and I've learned the most from are not the ones with the big horsepower. And this uh, MX-5 is one of those. They're they're yeah. fantastic. Ryan, yeah. uh, how, what led you up, because I doubt if you started in an MX-5, what led you up to the MX-5 Cup?
1: Uh, well, I started off in go-kart just a long time ago. I uh, was fortunate enough uh, to get into it at an early age. Uh, it was you know, either between getting an off-road go-kart for the backyard or a racing go-kart, and uh, luckily my dad chose a racing in one. Uh, uh. So started off karting and uh, you know, eventually started working for Skip Barber a little bit and running some SCCA stuff and a lot of lower horsepower cars. Uh, basically, is what I was able to afford to run, to uh, be able to afford to be competitive in. So, a lot of Volkswagens and Mini Coopers and stuff like that. And uh, I teamed up with uh, Lawrence Passine, Doc Passine, a couple of years ago. And uh, he's big into Mazdas. And we're big into, you know, check that Mazda helped represent so much amateur and pro racing. And uh, the Mazda MX-5 uh, Global Cup Series is uh, just a great, you know, uh, entry-level pro series to get into. So Fantastic. I'm to, uh, you know, I, we've got a big congregation
2: of the MX5 crowd around Austin that uh, not only come out to Search of the Americas, but, you know, they go to places like Harris Hill, that's just right down the road in San Marcos, Texas. Okay. Yeah. And that is honestly some of the best racing that I see out there. When you go out there, you know, yeah, the Porsche guys are having fun, but these guys are having every bit as much fun and honestly improving a lot more <laughs> on a lot smaller budget. uh,
1: is that yeah. part of what drew you there yeah you know it's uh you know of course it's tough to be competitive in any series and you know with mazda with the mx5 cup it's a spec class so with everything being sealed everything is uh built from long road racing out of statesville north carolina uh so you really can't cheat you can't build a better motor you can't build better brakes you know you've got the same equipment as everybody else um you know i suppose You know, you can spend more money on testing and stuff like that, but, you know, you can't go and upgrade the car and do anything that anybody else isn't doing. So uh, the fact that everyone's got the same equipment and it comes down to setup and uh, driver talent, you know, makes it pretty appealing. And the fact that, I mean, you know, of course, as we all know, racing isn't cheap. You know, there's no cheap forms of racing. There's cheaper forms. And, uh, you know, this is a fairly, you know, reasonable, you know, series to get into and uh it's a lot of fun and super competitive as well as you mentioned
0: well hey you talked to let's talk about koda what do you think about racing here on circuit of the americas
1: well i've been i've been fortunate enough to be going there uh since it opened uh back in 2012 working with a lot of manufacturers uh so i've had i've been fortunate enough to drive it quite a bit uh but only raced it the 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 past couple years in global cup and i've had mixed success (laughs) to be honest uh you know did fairly well last year and then uh in the rain after we started in the back, had uh, some issues with a couple laps ago with little contact in turn one. Uh, this year, uh, we ran pretty well in race one, and unfortunately, race two, uh, we never made it past turn one. Oh. <laughs> so got uh, so we got taken out pretty early, unfortunately, by uh, you know some uh, other drivers' uh, aggressiveness. Uh, but the track is really fun to race on, really fun to drive on. Uh, it races really well. Uh, It's got a great mix of slow speed corners, high speed corners. And uh, what's nice about our series that we don't have track limits, which I guess is good or bad, depending on how you look at it. So uh, (laughs) we're using all the real estate there, which is a lot of code, you know, as you know, and, um, it's a lot of fun, you know. Like I said we've uh, we've raced there the past couple of years, uh, and we've done a lot of manufacturer work there, or you know myself anyway. So it's uh we always enjoy going to Coda and going to Austin.
0: Oh, oh, I saw you all using all that real estate. Absolutely, that was <laughs> <Turn> awesome. <18. laughs> it was awesome to watch the because you know you see all the other the big series with yeah. uh, with such limitations, but you guys are using every inch of that track
1: yeah and you know with the cars being well now we've we've been upgraded uh with with most of the cars up to a whopping hundred eighty one horsepower you know up from one fifty five last year um so we have to use all all momentum we can and you know as we know from racing that radius equals speed so up to a certain point yeah so yeah. you know we're trying to maximize that race through the corner without damaging the car and uh with code with those track out curbs being a little bumpy you know we got to make sure that we put the car back on the alignment rack after each session make sure that we did not to toe out of it or anything but um you know if, if that's what you got to do to win then you know that's what you got to do and that's a small price to pay as long as you don't spend anything
2: we always talk about turn 19 being the one where you get that long run out of the 16 17 18 sweeper and headed for 19 mm-hmm. and and if you don't get it just right you blow out the back of it and go it's, off course
1: yeah it's It's such a deceiving corner, Um, like 19 and 20, the opposite corners, you know, one looks faster than it is, the other looks slower than it is, and 19, you know, it's very easy to underdrive it, and it's way easy to overdrive and pick up a big push halfway through, and um, uh, you know, I'm not going to say that we haven't gone out there on the warm-up laps and just tested to see how high that apex curbing is in order to shorten up their radius a little bit, Um, but you know, it's it's a very tough corner, you know, it's early breaks, you're coming out of... Turns where sixteen, seventeen there, and if you try to break too late, you end up running wide and missing the apex. And if you, um, like I said, turn it too early, then you end up in no man's land and trying to get, hustle the car back uh, for turn twenty.
2: I like that the way drop. Ryan says he likes to test out the apex, the sausage burn on the inside. <laughs> I think Ryan <laughs> well, is on his way to being an Australian V eight supercar racer here <laughs> in well, Miata's, yeah.
1: in the MX five. Well, yeah, I mean you have to test and you know just kind of see you know you know what clears and what doesn't because come race time you know. It, it, it's you know it's a it's a 45 minute boxing match out there i mean everybody in the series is so competitive and you've got a mixed uh variety of drivers you have guys who've been in the series for a while and you have a lot of kids that are trying to make their names for themselves that are now you know 14 15 years old that are fresh out of karting. which you know when i was 14 and coming out of karting, i had no idea what to do and now these guys are running you know pro series so you've got a mixed bag of uh drivers out there trying to prove something they're taking advantage of everything out there so you got to make sure that um you know, you're out there with them and they're not afraid to, uh, to get dicey out there. Hey,
2: before we close out though, one of the things that, uh, you also do, and I know it's behind you mm-hmm. is, uh, you support other racers in the MX five cup. Why don't, you, why don't you talk about that before we wrap up?
1: Yeah. So, uh, we're fortunate. Um, as I mentioned before, I teamed up with doc Posse and we, for, uh, we, uh, started Pascine hall motorsports development, uh, based out of Chelsea, Alabama. And basically, you know, we provide, uh, well, we have a shop there, which, we know, we provide, you know, track support, um, you know, all your race car prep, all that stuff. Um, But also for, uh, you know, Global Cup races, we provide track support and coaching. And we also rent cars out and rent seats out for your your average track day in our uh, 2010 MX-5. And we also rent seats out in a bunch of endurance races, uh, the American Endurance Racing League and uh, the World Racing League. You know, they're kind of... uh, uh, two kind of entry level endurance series, kind of between chump car and like SCCA majors. Uh, so it's a, you know, it's a great dollar per seat time value. And, um, like I said we're fortunate enough to have Falcon Tire behind us and Royal Purple and, uh, you know, a couple other guys, Nemesis Labs uh, and Apex Pro. And after mention, of course, QRNF, uh, with Jack as well. So we're, a, we're pretty busy.
0: Well, hey, Ryan, I, before we let you go, I, I, we like to ask every, our drivers one question. And that, and, and we've asked everybody from Formula One drivers, IndyCar drivers, all, to whatever levels, what do, you, uh, what do you drive every day? What's your, what's your daily?
1: Well, um, I'm a new dad, recently a new dad. Oh, uh, happy Father's so, Day. There you go. Thank you, thank you. Uh, so I've got a Dodge Durango RT. So, oh, there you uh, go. There you go. I, I, got I'll the Hemi see, under the hood with the RT. Five, seven. There you go. <laughs> That's Exactly. I want something big that got, you know, 14 miles to the gallon. So I figured <laughs> I would just, I would I would take this one. So we need to introduce well. him
2: to Stu Hansen at Inertia Motorsports. Yeah. We'll fix yeah. that problem. <laughs> <laughs> all
0: right. Well, Ryan, well, thank you so much for coming on Speed City. Uh, best of luck this season, and uh, and I uh, appreciate you coming on. Perfect. Thank all you
1: guys so much, and uh, we're was the forward heading down the Coda. Thanks all to righty. Me. You bet. Thanks. Thank you.
0: You know, people with a Hemi. If they're here in Austin, like I did, when I yeah. had a Hemi, I I I, uh, I was looking up this company, and it was like the company that did the best motors in the United States. Oh, yeah. you're searching all and the I drag And I was on the their speed website. Racers and I was on Inertia Motorsports website, and I was looking around. I was going, I wonder where they are. I clicked and went, Pflugerville. They're yeah. like 20 minutes from where I'm sitting right now.
2: Well, and I kid you not, I and he's not paying for this. Yeah, but I go in there. And, uh, you know, it's by appointment only and all these kind of things, which which always kind of throws people off. Well, the reason is he's got to build motors, and he seriously ships high-grade, high-horsepower Hemi motors all over the world.
0: Yeah, and and does, I mean, I guess... I was going to say his headwork; he's most known for, but that's not it. It's everything. Isn't it's, everything. It? it's the complete package. Wow! Yeah. All right. Well, we are going to take another break, and when we come back, we're going to talk a little MotoGP, a little more Formula One, and uh, I'm going to tell you less why I didn't get to watch the MotoGP race today. So,
2: oh, uh, it was bowling.
0: <laughs> no, it was not bowling. All right, you listen to Speed City. We'll be back after these messages
5: reckless and wild they pour through the turns their prowess is potent and secretly stern as they speed through the finish the flags go down the fans get up and they get out of town the arena is empty except for one man still driving and striving as fast as he can the sun has gone down and the moon has come up and long ago somebody left with the cup but he's as a rider you know what you like the power the feel the ride
7: Hey, beer people, it's Christine Salas. And I'm Daytona. Salas Brewery is back in Austin and brewing again. Oh, Salas doesn't ring a bell for some of you? Well, for the last 17 years, we've been crafting the perfect comeback. We've returned to our roots with Salas White, a famous local favorite. Plus, we're creating some fresh new brews. And whether it's the first time you've tasted our family's legendary beer, or the millionth, we're thrilled to be back. Swing by your local store, watering hole, or our brewery, and let's catch up over beers. Salas, Austin's original craft brewery.
5: Talk 1370, the right choice. Whip, whip, run me like a racehorse, pull me like a ripcord, break me down and build me up, I wanna be the slip, slip, word upon your lip, lip, ready to rip, rip, break me down and
7: build me up, whatever it's time. Hey, this is Gary Garloff, I ride the number 31 Yamalube Graves Yamaha, and you're listening to Speed City.
1: Welcome back to the fastest hour in radio, Speed
0: City. Gary Gerloff, another Motor America rider. That's where Jonathan is. He texted while well ago, said he's not going to be able to make it on the show. No worries, Jonathan. We got this, my man. Uh, the music you're listening to, that's Imagine Dragons. That's one of there the bands for Formula One here in the United States and here in Austin. And remember, and,
2: those shows are Friday and Saturday night this year. It's going to be for good.
0: Hey, I like our music tonight. The, the, uh, the two songs that... that cake. cake is the band, yeah. I, I, heard I like that. cake. <laughs> I like cake and I like cake music. That, that <laughs> other... What was it? Hey, producer, what was the name of that song about racing? You come to the finish line and all that. Uh, he's uh the distance ah, by Cake. Go. So yeah, case. that's a good good race song.
2: But all right, so let's talk MotoGP first. Well, and we're going to talk about bowling. If, we are. Uh, we yeah. are? Yeah, I, yeah, I didn't realize we changed it's the bowling format. in Catalina, and uh, you know it's fantastic. Uh, saw a great near strike by Jorge Lorenzo. <laughs> did wind up going with a split. And, uh, you know, the reason I say that is uh, <laughs> as he was bowling, he he tossed his car, his uh, bike out front and took out uh, Dovey, took out Vinales. Rossi was making a great escape, but he split and sent one bike over and took out Rossi outside the <laughs> curb. Cars and bikes and people, dogs and cats everywhere.
0: <laughs> that is bowling. What the hell have we gotten into here? <laughs>
2: <laughs> and, uh, oh, oh, oh what a sight. Things well, I did absolutely s- went nuts after I that. I did
0: see that clip, but that's the only thing I saw of today's race because being Father's Day, my, I was over visiting my father-in-law with my son and uh, my father-in-law was talking about, he's thinking about buying a Tesla Model 3. Ooh. And I said, you know, those have been, uh, you know, as a daily driver, I was thinking about the, the performance one. I don't know if you've looked at the numbers on no, it. No, I have not. So I said, what the heck? So we ran up to the Tesla place up in the domain. Yep. We got there right when they opened at noon, and I tried to register online to do a drive, They and it, it wouldn't work. It couldn't. wouldn't Would uh, Their website wouldn't work. So we just walked in and said, no, we don't have any to drive. And so ah, oh, darn, all right, we'll just look around. And then the guy walks back up and says, hold on a minute, I've got uh, – I've got one you can you can drive because I told him I said we want we want to drive the performance model three, and my so it was me the salesman my father in law my son and my daughter all in this model three and y'all fit and we fit all right Miss Page
2: isn't that big yeah uh, uh, not the rest of you guys
0: but it it, uh, we we got in this and we did a little loop around and I was you know I've driven a Tesla before I haven't driven the the D? PA, the, D, the any of the Ds yet yeah and just merging and stuff in traffic it's just astounding the the acceleration and then we did a dead stop and eyeball flattening i think that one is rated at 3.2 or 3 and i'm thinking my son and wow. i were doing all the we're r- trying to run through the cars you know not the crazy cars but i mean of somewhat attainable cars you know like a gtr and all the right. other you know and i'm like this car is $60,000 and zero to 63. And, and I know all the negatives if you're a car guy. And my son was like, Yeah, I like the acceleration, but no, I don't want it. I don't like that car because it's, there's no visceral, there's no heart and soul to it. But my gosh, the acceleration was just from yeah. a dead stop, especially just amazing.
2: We're going to have to get over that. And it is an issue. Like I said, I love the performance of it. When they bring out something cool again visually, and I don't know how they're gonna what they're gonna do to replace the rumble of a an American V8 or how you're gonna or, or the RPM
0: wine of a dual overhead cam V8 at yeah, seven grand or whatever. I don't know
2: what's going to replace that experience in driving an electric car because the whole golf cart thing is just not, you know, is dental drill. Well and, this but, I, but
0: but you know in a Tesla, there is no sound. There's no whine, there's right. no nothing. It is just silent. And and when we got back I was I looked up an article on one and I was reading I think it was Road and Track or Car and Driver one of those and they were talking about racing it tracking it the Model 3 performance oh, and yeah. and what they said was that it was really interesting at the limit of adhesion you could almost you had you had no distraction from the engine so you could almost have the sound of the contact patch you know whatever tire you were leaning on the most it was really fascinating uh, interesting. Th- that that discussion and and the fact that it you know they're comparing it to an M3 on track, and wow. and it's just amazing. M3 but, is
2: such a staple of a, I yeah, know. a track car. Okay.
0: All right, well I've completely derailed your MotoGP discussion, but that's why I didn't get to see the race. I was set to watch it, and we ended up doing that instead.
2: All right, so uh, if you heard the names that were taken out in that. Uh, Jorge Lorenzo bowls out Dovey, Vinales and Rossi, <laughs> so it uh, became predictable after that. Marquez was there. And, uh, you know, quite honestly, that was, uh, that was about the most excitement he had, and you could spend the rest of the race out by the pool or something.
0: Well, I did see something that surprised me was uh, after the race, they showed a shot of Marquez and Fabio Quattararo, who came in second. Now, that's a bit of a surprise, I think. I mean, I know he's moving yeah. up. I think he is, Quattararo was like, uh, well, he's says seventh in the standing, so he probably moved up a few points, a few spots today. But that was a little bit surprising.
2: Sure. So uh, Marquez first. Fabio Quartararo was second. Daniel Petrucci third. Good to see Petrucci up there again on that Mission Winnow Ducati. Uh, he has wound up on podium a couple of times now. And so this really is faring well with him this season. Mentally didn't expect him up there. Renz was in fourth. Jack Miller fifth. Uh, Juan Mare. Man, I'm waiting on that Suzuki to really collect and come out again. Things got so shook up after lap two, but, uh, there, there wasn't a great deal of, uh, of excitement. Let's just say after that, I felt like, but, uh, anyway, so that, uh, that was that disappointing to see the guys, uh, that got taken out in lap two for a crazy oh. front end break lockup by Jorge that just sent them down. Where, where did you say who's in third place? Uh, Jorge, oh, on in third place on this, Daniel Petrucci. Danilo Petrucci, there you go. That's there okay. You I have been waiting on that.
0: <laughs> I missed I missed my cue the first time. So <laughs> uh, uh, yeah. So the world, the standings now: Marquez one hundred and forty points, DeVicioso, one hundred and three, Alex Rinz one hundred and one, Danilo Petrucci ninety eight. So right behind him, and then Rossi, Miller, Quattro, Nakagami, Paulo Spargo, Cal and Vinales down in eleventh, but. Uh, but yeah, you said it was a. It was. I mean, other than that, it wasn't the greatest race.
2: No, I don't think it was. I mean, it, uh, it was, to me, the the real excitement was over in lap two and took out everybody that was really going to put in a good show today. I think. All right. Well, hey, we had Sorry planned, guys. <laughs> uh, we we're going to move back
0: to Formula One because we just got a little bit left in the show, and we had talked about. We had this all queued up, and Dakota Dickerson brought it up that I didn't even. We didn't, we didn't discuss that with him beforehand or anything, but. The the discussion about the penalty on Vettel in the Canadian Grand Prix has I mean it's pretty it was the number one thing in motorsports, which ironically, as as much as most people didn't like it in Formula One, it, it got a huge boost
2: for Formula One. Everybody was talking about it. It did. You know, and I was you know, before I got to see all the the high speed replay and, and frame by frame stuff, I was paying attention and listening to what others were saying. And uh, I mean, and, and uh, I mean, respectfully, those with with uh, true racing heritage experience. And you know, one of the things that uh, that just kind of frustrated me was they were split. <laughs> Quite honestly, Mario Andretti said, "I think the function of stewards is to penalize flagrantly unsafe moves, not honest mistakes as a result of hard racing." What happened in? that Canada is not acceptable at this level of our great sport. Talking about the stewards. That's pretty strong words for Mario. He's not usually very outspoken.
0: Yeah, and, and, and when he did that, I tweeted out, I tweeted out, let it be written, because I figured, exactly. okay, we're all arguing, but Mario says this is the way it is. Okay, then we're done. But hey, done. Wait, I want to play this clip uh, from Julian Palmer. This is from Formula One. And this is, he did a really great analysis. If you haven't seen it, just go to their YouTube
2: page. Yeah, I'll, I will get that put out here shortly. But yeah, there's but some visual things that'll really tie this in.
0: Yeah, let's go ahead and play this clip from Julian Palmer.
4: So Vettel comes back on the circuit and there, as another reasonable oversteer that he has to catch. So he's steering completely right, and that is purely to catch the oversteer. That's not to try and crowd Hamilton out the circuit, to be clear. But then he catches that, and he starts turning left. Immediately after he starts turning left, He straightens up, right as I pause it here, is clearly looking in his mirror to see where Hamilton is. And he doesn't, on the back of that, try and steer more left to give his rival any room either. He still keeps the wheel pretty much straight and carries on crowding Hamilton out of room. For me, he's not completely out of control. At the moment, he could give Hamilton some room. He's out of control a little bit as he rejoins the circuit because he's coming through the grass with a bit of curb onto the track. I would have done absolutely the same as Vettel. As soon as I saw it happen, I expected Vettel to come across the track and, and shut Hamilton off. I would have expected the same, same penalty. I would have hoped to not get the same penalty, of course. But if you get that penalty, I, I think it's a difficult one to argue.
0: Mm. You know, he goes on to say, uh, and he said it, I, I, I missed it if he said it just then, but he said he would have done exactly the same thing as Vettel did uh, no matter what, because... He knew that if he let Hamilton by, he was done. The race was over, no matter what. At that point, so take your chances. You know, in our post-race show, I compared it to a um, last week. I compared it to a defensive back in the NFL going for the possible interference rather than just letting the guy have a touchdown. It's the same thing here, really.
2: Yeah, yeah, and I think somebody that called it out, uh, Alex Wurz, is a former F1 racer in his tweet. Was my observation on Vettel rejoining. His helmet moved to look into the mirror, only to see after steering correction. And he slid that far is the law of physics. No space for Lewis is the name of the game with street tracks. What happened to let him race? Was it sketchy? Yes. A penalty? Not in my view. So interesting on the takes there. Uh, Nigel Mansell was another one that uh, tweeted and put his input in. He said, very embarrassing, or very, very embarrassing. No joy in watching this race. Two champions driving brilliantly will end as a false result. Mm, Yeah. Pretty powerful words. And I find it, now, uh, definitely look at Julian Palmer's uh, video that we'll put out. And that is, to me, it shows uh, the timing of correction, the head direction that Vettel does. It also shows when he gets back on the accelerator. So if he was in control enough to nail that accelerator to like 50 or 75%, I think it was, he's feeling like he's in control, yet he's still aiming over towards Hamilton.
0: Yeah. Well, it's been a fascinating discussion. Uh, We're almost out of time. I have to bring up something I saw on the 24-Hours Le Mans this weekend. Uh, A a guy tweeting out, uh, it is Matt, oh, my computer stopped working. Here it is. Uh, M-A-T-T-Z-E-L 89. He's a real he's a, he's uh, he's the guy behind the slow racing in slow motion. He tweeted out a photo of of uh, Tom Christensen using the big screen and circling his face. And everybody thought it was real. It was so hilarious. You gotta look it up on Twitter if you get a minute. <laughs> All right, thanks everybody for tuning in tonight. Check us out on our website, speedcitybroadcast.com, and uh, follow us for our pre and post Formula One shows every week nationally. So go to our website to find out where you can hear that. Thanks for tuning in. Talk to you next week.
2: Ciao, y'all. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what?